What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This podcast is supported by two incredible Bitcoin companies, River and CoinKite, which cover the two most important bases when accumulating Bitcoin, buying it and securing it. If you're in the U.S., River is the place to buy Bitcoin. Set up a zero-fee dollar cost average plan and let the sats pile up with no stress. Or buy and host mining rigs with them and have a steady stream of sats flow coming your way. Finally, if you're a developer or entrepreneur, River's Lightning service lets you build Bitcoin payments into your applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure yourself. Simply put, the team at River are hardcore Bitcoiners that do things right. Learn more about them at river.com today. Once you've bought your Bitcoin, it's time to take self-custody, as this, after all, is the entire value proposition of Bitcoin. CoinKite is your one-stop shop to do just that. Whether it's a signing device, also known as a hardware wallet, a steel plate to back up your seed words, a block clock for telling Bitcoin time, a sats card for gifting Bitcoin, or a reservation for the highly anticipated cold card Q1 device, CoinKite has you covered. Visit CoinKite.com and use promo code VALIS, V-A-L-L-I-S, for 5% off today. And finally, if you'd like to support this show directly, you can do so simply by listening to it on Fountain. Just download the Fountain app on iOS or Android, follow Bitcoin Rapid Fire, and you're good to go. You can share your thoughts on this episode by sending a boost, like a tip with a message, see what other listeners have said, or even create and share clips of your favorite moments. Getting started is super easy. You can top up your Fountain wallet with a bank card, you can send a few sats there from another wallet, or you can even earn sats by listening to episodes and clips on the platform. To learn more, visit fountain.fm today. After some technical difficulties, uh, we're here. Ryan, thanks for joining me today. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a chat with you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So, um, you know, why don't we start with a, a bit of an intro? You are involved in a, in a project, I think, you know, it's called the Regenesance. And I've been doing a lot of podcasts over the last, I guess, two years now about this kind of growing phenomenon that seems to have a lot of uptake in the Bitcoin space, which is that of regenerative ranching slash farming. And so why don't you tell me kind of what your angle is and what you're doing with it all and how you got there and we'll we'll take it from there. Yeah. So I guess because my last two and a half years have been pretty crazy. And it's what essentially led me to this apparel brand because it's called the Regenesance and it's taking regenerative and renaissance com- combined and um, I guess the two parts is regenerative agriculture, but also just regenerating your health, because obviously in America, we're a really, really sick nation. And there's also just the last few generations just continue to spread lies, such as that butter and steak and eggs are bad for you, saturated fats bad for you, that red meat causes cancer. So there's all this information out there that's hard to really parse through. And so I'm pushing back to that because there's a big agenda being pushed on that other side of the movement. We're being told more of a plant-based movement, placing animal agriculture, they're pitting that against climate change, which all of that is just complete lies. So I'm trying to make this an awareness slash just educational type movement because I was actually vegan for two and a half years and I realized how wrong that was. But when you think about the vegan movement, they're really, really loud and they're only about two or 3% of the population, but you'd think it's a lot more. There's really nothing on the other side of that per se. And so I'm just, yeah, essentially trying to do just that. And then also it's not just diet and connecting back to our land with regenerative agriculture and farmers and ranchers, but also trying to take a holistic approach because it's, it's not just that you need to really get outside in the sunlight, 
I mean, that was one of the biggest things that I've changed in my lifestyle personally, that's been huge beneficial movement and exercise, sleep and stress, all of that plays a huge part. And so I'm just really trying to, to bring that together as a movement. And then the last thing too, so my clothes, I'm trying to have natural fibers because again, our apparel industry is also really, really screwed up. And I mean, that's dating back to the seventies when we started outsourcing all of our production essentially. And now the materials, a lot of them are super toxic too. So there's just so many different things in our, I guess, environment. They're also just really toxic for us. And yeah, I'm just trying to push back to all of that. Uh, just a quick note on that. What would like, are you talking about like bamboo fiber? Would that be a more, um, like the growing methods are better for the environment? And and the you know maybe or or hemp like and the and the growing the impact on the environment is less for growing those sorts of things or, or what are you using like organic cotton that kind of stuff? Yeah, so the shirts currently are organic cotton, and I plan to have much more clothes released, but using cotton and linen, potentially hemp and bamboo, but uh, I'm trying to really avoid polyester and all these mm. other synthetic fibers that are. I didn't even learn about this until last year, just how toxic they are for the environment yeah. but especially for us because for example polyester there's a lot of research done that has caused testicular cancer so for us guys wearing shorts and, and spandex and uh underwear made out of polyester whenever you're working out really anything it builds over time and it's just very toxic for us yeah i remember i went down that rabbit hole I think it was like 2010, I was living in China and I, you know, read up on just how uh, damaging to the environment um, cotton farming was and all the chemicals and pesticides and stuff used. And I, uh, I ended up getting a bunch of, like I got a, a suit made, a bunch of t-shirts, like a bunch of art other articles of clothes, clothing made of um, either hemp or bamboo or both. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was actually, you know, great, you know, very like it the processing has improved over, over time especially bamboo can be very soft and 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 nice and even hemp mm -hmm. can can be I, I like the feel of it and you know it's it's apparently more breathable and it's less like it collects less bacteria in it and all that sort of jazz so um i definitely you know and, and that's not something the environmentalists generally think about you mm -hmm. know, like their focus is so much on one thing that they miss. Like, and I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I remember back in the day when I was researching this, being shocked at just how much the cotton industry was contributing to, you know, environmental degradation and the use of chemicals and pesticides and how that was leaching into the environment. And of course, how much, you know, how that was impacting people who were wearing the, you know, that clothing. And, you know, it's, as we, as so many of us are, well, have been finding out for a long time, perhaps, and but even you know, seemingly more recently, there's a lot of stones that when like when you turn them over, it's not what you thought it was. Whether it's in the realm of food or finance or clothing or environment or like name one, medicine, it's just yeah. And we, we're almost in a place where it's the inverse, you know, like we're that's why I think we call it clown world because it's like not only is it wrong, but so often it's actually perfectly wrong in terms mm -hmm. of like it's the the truth is the exact opposite of what's being you know, propagated in the, in the culture or the mainstream or the news or whatever. I mean, that's a really valid point, especially with, I don't think most folks realize with cotton too, how much it's heavily sprayed. Cause it's one of the most heavily sprayed crops. And that's another point that I'm trying to really work with my brand long-term is 
only 3% of the world's organic cotton production is in the U.S. Most of it is China, India, and I believe there's another country I can't remember. But I really want to change that as well because you can integrate that into regenerative agriculture, but it's obviously a challenge. And mm -hmm. But as I guess the brand expands, I really want to eventually have direct relationships with farmers that are doing that. Yeah, Regenesance is a sick name, by the way. It's perfect. I wish I could um, take credit for it. It was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, was this like, were you into Bitcoin prior to kind of getting interested in regenerative agriculture? Like which one came first? Yeah, so I was fortunate with my older brother. He really tried, he was in Bitcoin for a while and he was trying to really get me into that. And like a lot of people, I just pushed back for a while. And it wasn't until... 2017 that I bought my first Bitcoin and was fully invested in, into it all. And I think what really was the catalyst was listening to Andreas Antonopoulos on Joe Rogan. He did two podcasts, I think in like 2014 and 2016. And he gave like a really real world examples with his Greece background. And so that really got the wheel started spinning. And then as I was talking to him more and more with that, it, it made sense and just clicked. And what was the lead into the regenerative agriculture stuff? Like, was it because it had started bubbling up in the Bitcoin space or was it some, something outside of that? Like, why? How did this all come about? Yeah. So I've had a lot of really serious family, um, I guess, family experiences the last couple of years because I'm coming at it from a tech background. But right at the start of the pandemic, my brother, I received news that my brother had stage three colon cancer. So fast forward to December of of 2020, I had found out that that had progressed to stage four. And I knew leading up to that, that if that was going to happen, I was going to take time off work and be his caretaker just because he was easily the most important person in my life. But also I just would not be able to live with myself if I was just working in Austin while he is just completely suffering. So the first six months of 2021, I took off work and was his caretaker and essentially watched him be tortured to death. And he passed away on June 11th of that year. But on top of that, my mom was also in really, really poor health. She was forced to retire in 2019 from her health. So she was already declining as well. So I was also helping take care of her. And after he passed away, obviously, it was extremely traumatic experience. Um, I knew I didn't want to go back to work. So I actually quit from IBM and I withdrew my 401k, not knowing what the hell I wanted to do with my life. But I wanted to try to figure that out and bet myself. So that took a while and I was trying different things. I was actually thinking about doing like Bitcoin consultancy in terms of like educating businesses, but my heart really wasn't in, in it enough. And then it was actually Twitter to where I started learning about regenerative agriculture and that just clicked. Um, just really going back to our food production because my whole life I had been extremely disconnected. I couldn't remember the last time I actually visited a farm. I don't know if I really had ever gone to a farmer's market. and so. I just really took a deep dive in that, started to take this class from Rizoma Field School on Twitter that's a, a homestead, but also just talking about regenerative agriculture practices. And so just from there, it just kind of snowballed to where I started traveling around America and I visited some ranches. And then through that, I discovered wolfing, which I don't know if you're familiar with wolfing. Doesn't ring a bell. So that's an acronym, W. W-O-O-F, and it stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. It's a great organization where essentially in exchange for your labor, you get housing and food. So last fall, which is actually when I, I shared my story on Twitter, 
was the very first farm I, I worked on in Pennsylvania for a few months. And then again, that just really opened up my eyes to that whole world. And I realized once I shared that on Twitter that, I mean, my story went viral from that overnight. And I realized people really wanted to see that because like me, we, it just opens up your eyes to, oh yeah, I've been so disconnected to all of this. And I want to see what actually happens behind closed doors, essentially. And yeah, I'll just leave it at that. That's kind of where I really led into regenerative agriculture and just kept snowballing. And so is the current project mostly focused on education and awareness, or do you have, you know, plans or, or are you currently engaged in farming in some capacity? Or like, are you still so, doing the woofing or are you doing your own thing? Or So currently I'm just focusing on the brand. Long-term, I still want to start my own ranch, but the whole thing with this brand is I really just want to bridge that gap and um, trying to figure out ways how I can do that as well through my website. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of the fun with this brand is there's so many different avenues you can really go with it. But the, the biggest thing is education and awareness. Yeah, there are so many areas, there's so many ways you could, you could go with it because, you know, ev everything comes from the soil, basically, you know, like mm -hmm. everything that we are, the water, the minerals, everything comes from there, you know, and it, it, it all starts there. And of course it, draws energy from the sun and then plants grow and then we 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 the animals eat the plants we eat the animals and so on and so forth and um it really i mean i think it'll be one of the potentially one of the primary ways in which our current time is characterized in the future is just the degree that we've been disconnected from basically all the the, the fundamental things that sustain us and so you could you could characterize one of those fundamental things that sustain us as obviously our food right and mm -hmm. being so detached from the processes that are involved in that and so detached from the natural order of what what comes from that so many so much refinement so much additive so much extraction to the point where you know and and by the way you know I'm very sorry to hear about you know your brother because of course that's a, a tragic thing but so many people are in the in the circumstance where and and there's no there's almost never it's really hard to d draw direct lines of causation with things like health and diet and that kind of stuff but over the course of time it, we can notice like generally which behaviors lead to the better outcomes and it's just mm -hmm. so obvious in the culture today that so many of the bad outcomes we see not just in like straight up physiological health but in mental health and in you know all the other areas that one might optimize themselves so much of it is due to that detachment from nature basically mm -hmm. and 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 the food that comes from that and naturally comes from that and i would say you know another one that seems to be getting a lot of interest in in the bitcoin space which i like to explore with some guests is you know another one is like detached from something higher whether you call it a spirituality or god or whatever like the detachment from that thing that you're supposed to have uh, or that you you have a that you could be better oriented by, let's say, you know, like mm -hmm. that, that thing, whatever, you know, it's highly contentious topic, of course, but whatever that might be, that's another form of detachment, form of fundamental detachment that I think is leading to many of the negative outcomes that we're seeing in, in the culture today. And so I think like wind the clock forward a hundred years or 500 years or whatever, and people will look back and say, like, look, look at all the detachment the detachment from so many of the things that we're supposed to be more connected to in order to facilitate a, a flourishing life, family, community, culture, nation, whatever. And, um, and the, I guess part of the interesting question there is like, what are like, 
we could probably easily identify like how some of those detachments occurred, right? Like the food industrial complex and fiat and subsidize subsidies and all this kind of stuff leading, kind of guiding people to consume food that is detached and not good for them. But in, in, in all these cases, it's like, what are you, you're detaching from those things and what are you putting in its place? And I guess the answer is you're, you're putting either garbage or harmful things or things that are less true or untrue. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the other main way in which our era might be characterized is the kind of the glorification of the self, you know? So I think mm. people are being detached from all these things and and uh, overly attaching to their self or their ego. And that also comes with a whole host of behaviors that are disconnected, inharmonious, and ultimately detrimental to one's health and the health of a family or a community or you know, broader collective. So it's, it's, uh, I look forward, well, maybe I won't be around for it, but it'll be interesting if I am to see how this era is reflected. Cause it's always so hard to, uh, you know, look at your own era when you're in it, right. Much as we might try as, as introspective as we might be as, as, as much as we might attempt to decondition ourselves from, you know, the time we're in, it's just, it's so hard. And in hindsight, it becomes so easy to identify, you know, and, I think, yeah, I think detachment will be a big one for us. I'm curious too, just based off of that, because to me, especially from a culture standpoint, especially in the West, of how fast it changed. And uh, I'm 29. I, I don't know how old you are, but I'm curious if just in your okay. history, like in your okay, in your lifetime, it just seems like the last 10 years, maybe you can even say like five years, it just changed so rapidly. And I didn't know if that had, if you had experienced that. Um, in previous time, or is this just really the last five years to where it's just, yeah, it's just a huge shift. I don't know, man. As soon as I, like, I've always been fairly curious slash skeptical. And as soon as I started looking into this stuff, it, it was apparent how egregious that detachment was, you know? So even when I was a teenager and I started looking at all this stuff. So like in the early 2000s, let's say, um, it was all fucked then too, you know, like may, maybe things have, I mean, presume things have accelerated, you know, because whatever we, we identify as being most causative here, let's just as a stand in use the degradation of fiat money and the fiat money system, right? Like as, mm -hmm. as that kind of spirals down or devolves further then you would expect all the things which it produces to do the same and so i think you know you could you could probably characterize it that way and identify why it might be accelerating or getting worse and worse now but even back then you know the food industry looked like it was it was totally messed up politics banking and finance like i can't think of something that that wasn't that way and then you know you think you could probably say the same for the 90s and the 80s. And I mean, when was a period, th this is always the challenge in history too. And, and the challenge for people not to exclusively want to harken back to a bygone era, because we mm -hmm. probably see in it what we want to see. Like we might say, oh, like the 60s was the best decade in, in America, right? Because, you know, you had the moon landing and you had Bretton Woods system and you had, uh, you didn't have the corruption and all these things yet. And after that, you know, 1971 is when everything went off the rails. And of course, like mm -hmm. there's there's good arguments to be made that there are inflection points where things accelerate or or change dramatically. Um, 
but I think, you know, you got to look back and say things were never perfect. And, you know, so things were probably always off the rails to some degree, but we can still look back and, and try to avoid at a minimum, the mistakes that we've made in the past. And then with the current circumstances, with the technologies and whatever other opportunities we have at our disposal now, look forward and say, what kind of world do we want? And how do we constitute that? Like, how mm -hmm. do we, how do we build that with what we have? And I think, you know, that's why you're doing what you're doing. And so many of us have our, you know, the way in which we're trying to contribute to that and say, like, I, I think that this is actually the the importance and that this is an ax I've been grinding, you know, especially over the, during the COVID years, the importance of like fundamental values and principles, because those are the things that guide your behavior. Those are the things that help you judge or assess the validity of anything that you might encounter, whether it's a government dictate or a, you know, corporate whatever or food or what like how much does it to to the point how much does it cohere or apart uh, uh detach right from mm -hmm. these value these values or principles and uh i what was so scary about the covid years is like it seemed like most people in normyland completely like that that assessment wasn't part of their those questions weren't a part of their assessment, you know? And so yeah. like the values and principles were not even considered in the face of emergency or you might die or you have to do this because you were told to. And that's what, you know, really, I think shakes the foundations of a, any sort of semblance of a civilized or peaceful or pros prosperous culture is that you know which values and principles are basically sacrosanct because they are the very things that hold thing that give you a chance at peace and prosperity, basically. Mm -hmm. And if you if you do away with them, and there's there's many examples of this throughout history, then things devolve very rapidly because you don't really have a way of judging things. You don't really have a north star, and so you mm -hmm. you know every, everything is relative. Everything is just based on whose opinion has the most weight or the most power, or the most influence in the in the moment, and and things devolve very rapidly. And so, um, yeah, that that was a concern during COVID time, and I think. Now, I mean, with, with the emergence of Bitcoin, I think that's actually reversing, right? I mean, I think yeah. we're, we're not only have Bitcoin as a type of, of principle, but we, it's also instigating these conversations about what principles are most generative to a, you know, a thriving individual and culture, let's say. And so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I mean, I, I don't know if I, I'm hopeful that we've, we've reached peak clown world, but I very, you know, I'm very apprehensive about claiming that because I don't want to. Uh, shoot myself in the foot or jinx myself, but I feel like um, you know the COVID years. Might, hopefully, were an apex of that, and now with all these initiatives that we often talk about, and I'm sure you and I have both familiarized ourselves with, it's like there's so much good stuff happening, and it seems to be uh, grounded in these principles and grounded in an appreciation for our connection to nature mm -hmm. and and all of these things, and an appreciation for how that connection elucidates greater health in all the different areas it might be construed you know so but so but that would kind of give credence to your point that the last 10 years or the last five years in particular have been particularly wild because you know perhaps they were the 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 years leading up to the very tip of the the clownishness yeah i mean there's i guess there's three things i have with that too because going back to you mentioning about spirituality and i guess what you believe in I've noticed that trend of lack of religion in America coinciding with just the destruction of our culture. And I used to not believe that because for the longest time I was agnostic. 
And actually at the time that my brother passed, we were both technically agnostic, but that was actually a catalyst to going back. And now I'm back to being a believer. And yeah, I don't know. That just makes me think about that all the time of just that trend. And then the second thing too, going back to, um, with my brother, I remember at, at the time he passed cause he was 32 and he got cancer. I was wondering why the hell, why did he get cancer of, of all things and why him? And it makes me think about just how common cancer is for so many people. And for the longest time, I couldn't understand that, but it makes a lot of sense. Now there's just like, I was going back to saying, there's just so much toxicity and mm-hmm. cancer is just the last line of defense, just to all the toxins built up in your body. And for my brother, it made a lot of sense why he got cancer, especially colon cancer. He was an alcoholic. He drank really heavy beers every single day. Cause I remember I lived with him for a little bit and I tried to get him to stop, but uh, yeah, he just really liked beer. He didn't eat the best. He stayed indoors all day. Essentially he lifted weights, but didn't really get any exercise. And then I wholeheartedly believe that kind of unlocked the gene and my family because my grandfather passed away from the same thing when he was in his forties. And again, that's why I have the regenesance is because we have the answers to push back to all that. Um, and I mean, as humans, we're, we're tribal too. So if we have something that people really believe in, but they're not, I guess, necessarily too confident to speak out against at first, but see something that they could be behind. Uh, I think that could really work, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to start this. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask what, I mean, you mentioned a little bit that it was kind of what happened in your experiences with your brother, but what was it that kind of led you to faith either again or for the first time? Yeah. So it was actually working on the farm and I started to understand why so many farmers are religious themselves. You just have a really connection, deep connection to the land and the animals. And it just makes you start reflecting on everything again, uh, everything being life and how it is all really connected, how nature communicates with one another. And that was really the, the, I guess, jumping point. And then actually the farm I worked on, the owners were religious themselves. So we just had awesome conversations about all of that too. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, again, this is one of those things that we'll look back in hindsight, you know, right. We look at bloodletting now and be like, wow, how stupid. Now the asterisk by that is, you know, some people still think, and, and, you know, I don't know where I stand on it that like, you know, like some people say you should give blood regularly because it causes you to, you know, regenerate blood cells and that's good for you. Mm-hmm. So who, who knows what the real truth is, but Suffice it to say that as an example, we used to think that bloodletting was just a ridiculous sort of thing to have done for medicine in the past, right? Um, And I think, again, we'll look back and say, well, of course they had all of the, you know, all these cancers and other diseases, because look at the environment they were in, you know, look at all the different toxins that they were subjected to on a daily basis in the modern era, you know, from everything, from their clothing and from the air and from their water and from their food and from whatever the hell else, Mm -hmm. of course, they had all of these, you know, illnesses and diseases that, you know, came up and they, and they, you know, seemingly without a direct cause, but, uh, you know, taken together as a cause of just the the general toxicity. And so, you know, I, I think it's amazing that people are starting to become aware of that and trying to, to the extent possible that you can, you know, living in a, in a, city in the in the developed world scale back mm-hmm. your exposure to that kind of stuff and try to limit it and then i i would say the you know another big one is this general because of all you know there's a chicken and egg kind of 
question here, but let's just say because of all this detachment and this kind of seeming lack of meaning, you know, the death of God and the detachment from nature and all this kind of stuff. And then what you do to fill the void. So whether it's alcohol or drugs or social media or addictions of, you know, a variety of kinds, how much does that just, uh, because, you know, there's obviously a, a, a brain and body connection, right? The mm -hmm. body is not separate units. It's an integrated unit. And how much of a signal are you sending to your body when you're living a life of such meaninglessness and despair and apathy for your health in all areas? So, like, if you just don't give a shit and you watch Netflix and you eat junk food and you you do drugs and you drink and all, all those other things that... How is that not sending a signal to your body saying, I don't really care, you know, like, so if you want to throw up a, a, a disease, a cancer, a tumor or whatever, like, and I'm, I'm not suggesting, you know, this happened to your brother or whatever, but I do think there's a, this is part of the relationship that we have to our bodies and saying like, Absolutely. your thoughts and your actions communicate things to your body on a level that we don't currently fully understand. And so are you sending the signals that you have a reason to live and you want to live and there's things you want to achieve and that you're, there's gratitude for the for your existence and all the opportunities you have or are you sending a signal like meh i could take it or leave it and you know yeah. and what and what how is your body going to respond and how would you think it would respond so i have two things with that too because so after he passed away i was obviously completely destroyed and i was just smoking a ton of weed every day eating just complete garbage just destroying my body and luckily twitter just really woke me up to that but it was just trying to i mean that's why i was trying to many different things to where i finally got to regenerative agriculture i was just trying to find certain meaning because i would just be pissing on my brother's grave if i just sat there like a lump for the rest of my life and didn't do anything meaningful especially after everything we had just gone through and then made me really just start thinking about just my bloodline, how all the sacrifices that happened for me to get here, I'd be pissing on their graves too. And you're right. I mean, once I was able to find meaning and mission, because I have a mission in life that it's not just regenerative agriculture and not just the renaissance that I'll be able to essentially work on the rest of my life and be completely fulfilled. And I was very intentional about trying to to figure that out and discover and yeah, because I was I was heading down a very dark path to where I was digging myself in an early grave right next to my brother. Yeah, well, I think many of us probably have similar stories like that. And again, like I think that characterizes the the generation that we're in, like there where there was such a a lack of meaning that the that that void was filled or it was attempted to be patched in so many different ways, you know destructive ways. And for whatever reason, it seems like that's really starting to turn around. Now, obviously, I think Bitcoin is a, a huge element of that. Because once people kind of see how it can improve things on a fundamental level, once people see how it affects their degree of hope, right, how it gives them, you know, it, it allows them to look at the world through a hopeful lens rather than through a, you know, a a depressed lens or a, a lens of despair, then I think that starts to awaken a lot of things inside of you. And mm -hmm. one of them, I, I think that it's, it's been my observation for a lot of people is it also kind of tunes them to be able to determine what it is, is meaningful to them. And so when they cast their attention back out into the world, they're more capable of perceiving meaning. And that's like, 
that's such a, well, it's such a tremendous gift, but it's such an important thing because you want to tune your, your attention and your focus to be able to identify things that are most meaningful and relevant, right? That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of the name of the game to kind of look out and to be a bit dramatic here, but to see the kingdom of God, like when you look out on the world and not just see all the noise and not just see all the bad stuff, but to look out and have like the good stuff and the meaningful stuff really glow for you so that you know how to construe your behavior. So you know which path to take. And it really seems like, you know, for those reasons, and I'm sure more, Bitcoin is allowing people, and perhaps it's just as simple as like, this thing becomes so meaningful to them that the whole process of grappling with meaning and trying to understand why things are meaningful to you and what attributes or elements of them cause them to be, the experience of doing that with Bitcoin is giving them more, again, capacity or capability to do it with other things. Mm -hmm. uh, but whatever the the mechanism or ultimate cause is, I mean, that certainly seems to be the case. And I mean, I think that's the the biggest possible solution to the problems we face that anyone could ever ask for. It's like mm -hmm. all these things we're discussing, the main issue is probably just a lack of meaning, apathy, you know. Yeah. And, and, and that yeah. bleeds into <clears throat> all these other issues. And if you can correct that, if you can turn that ship around to now having meaning, and also being more capable of identifying and integrating meaning into your life, then that's like, that's writing the ship, right? That's turning things around and going in the right direction. And that's, I mean, that seems to be what's happening with so many people right now. I think that the other thing too, I'd like to add to that, especially in the context of human history, our generation have had it extremely easy to where most of us, especially me, I had a really easy life. This was everything I went through with my brother and my, my mom, I mean, I would say that was my boy to man phase at 27, just because I had never gone through anything like that. But when you think about 200 years ago, you're used to death around your family and you're working on the farm, you're working on the land as a kid. So you've built that, I guess, discipline and mental toughness in a way that a lot of us really have never really gone through because mm. that's why it took me so long to get out of it. Once I was able to, I guess, overcome my personal life with my family. I, I I didn't think I'd ever be this strong. I mean, I guess it just awakened something inside me that I just didn't realize it was possible. But I think that's also just reflecting on my friends and just a lot of the generation and how they go about life. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why too. Couldn't agree more. And it's so interesting to see, you know, these previously dormant or or un underdeveloped aspects of of ourselves people are now addressing them, you know, they're really intentionally working on them because they realize the importance of them. And, you know, there's an element of the times call for them as well, whether it's you want to, you know, really want to engage that hopeful future or capitalize it, or you want to make sure you're formidable enough to see yourself through the potential chaos of what, of what may be coming. Like both of those things are motivations to really, you know, find those elements of you that have been neglected and, you know, bring them up to to snuff, basically, you know, like develop them sufficiently so they can be useful to you. And yeah, I, I mean, it's your story and what we've been discussing. I mean, just seems to be what I'm seeing, particularly in, in Bitcoin, but outside of it as well, it just seems to be a lot of people are taking that approach. And, you know, kind of encapsulating all that is a sense and not to not to abdicate too much responsibility from our own choices, but there's a sense that like, oh, we've been lied to. You know, like we've been, or at a minimum, 
we've been tricked or fooled in some way, you know, not, not always to suggest it was intentionally lied to or tricked, but like something has pulled us off course and it's so pervasive and it's everywhere. And the attempt is to identify what it is. Now, maybe it's as simple as like culture, right? Maybe, maybe it's like an animus more so than a, an intentional agenda by any group of people. And it's this animus that just causes you to, over-focus on, on the self and the ego and under-focus on, on whatever else is going on or, you know, the spirit of chaos as it's called or, or whatever, like maybe it's just that. And then it shows up everywhere and then it creates an incentive structure around it. And then it kind of self-perpetuates. And maybe this is part of the, the cycle of human consciousness and human history that it kind of always goes a little bit like that. You get consolidation and integration and advancement and progress, and then you get that kind of chaotic interlude where things get a little bit too uh, untethered from the truth, and it's mm -hmm. chaotic and it's painful, and it's that pain that ultimately brings you back to that closer tethering that allows you to move forward to the next step. You know, I think there's some truth in that, but suffice it to say that this generation certainly seems like, you know, one of our, one of the the collective statements is, wow, we've been lied to, and we're not going to so easily trust from this point on. And yeah. you see, you see that everywhere. And, and rightly so. I mean, I'm obviously a proponent of that. But it's so funny to me when people can't see that, you know, an intro, a, a relevant current kind of example of this is the whole Rogan and Hotez and RFK, you know, debate offer. Mm -hmm. And I see the mainstream people like talking about this thing as if they, 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 they seem completely oblivious to the fact that so many people just don't trust them. Like, mm -hmm. like the, the, the shock and the surprise and the authoritative air that they put on, like, I can't, it, it seems unbelievable that they can't appreciate why people might not trust them for decades now of, of ridiculous behavior, but certainly for, you know, the behavior over the last few years, that there would be a distrust or a skepticism in the, in the institutions, be they of government, corporate institutions, nonprofit, whatever, like, it, it's just a general air of, well, kind of don't trust verify, right? Or at least at mm -hmm. a very minimum, I'm not going to just in like, de facto trust you, you're gonna have to earn my trust. And, uh, they seem completely oblivious to it. And you, and of course, that's part of what causes this like polarization, right? Because there's one group that's like, I don't trust you at all. And the other one is like, how could you possibly not trust me? I come from the university. I come from the, the come from CNN or, or what have you, or come from the government. And um, so I, you know, I think what we're witnessing now is that kind of snapback from people feeling they've been tricked to now bringing, you know, the, their kind of, attention back inside in terms of trying to identify and develop what they've been, what that, what having been tricked has caused them to neglect. And then so, and simultaneously to trying to improve that or bring that out is, is, is not falling prey to the same mistake again, which, which means not just instinctively trusting everyone, you know, in the culture or in your life. Yeah. I mean, to me, the first thing that came to mind was just big pharma, not even taking covid and, and the vaccines but if you just i remember going back home because my parents still had cable tv and every commercial break there were at least minimum one to two pharmaceutical commercials and then you look into the industry they spend billions of dollars on marketing for that how does that not make you question their actual motives behind all that especially given we're essentially the only country that allows that they have new zealand but it's nothing like 
what's yeah. allowed in America for pharmaceutical co- commercials. And then you actually watch the commercials. And at the end of every commercial, they have a laundry list of possible side effects. And it's just insanity how that's just, we've become so desensitized to that particular thing that I don't that that just makes me question everything with, with health related, because now there's a, a new approved drug for weight loss. And I already know that's going to have really bad consequences. And that, that just warps our perception too overall as health is just, Oh, we can just fix it with a pill rather than actually taking the holistic approach that's necessary in order to live a long, healthy life. Yeah. But it, it that, I don't know much about, I heard some hoopla about that pill a few weeks ago, but um, what I just keep coming back to this notion that there just is no free lunch, right? Like, and, and this is part of the issue with, with, quote unquote, modern culture, is that they isolate one variable and try to optimize or resolve that. And they completely ignore all the things peripheral to it that would might be damaged or impaired as a result. And again, the, the COVID stuff is a perfect example, right? Like focusing on one metric. So like lock everyone down because that is somehow going to do some good versus all the harm and damage that that one particular action creates, right? But if you're only focusing on what it's meant to improve and ignoring all that, then you're going to keep doing it, which was which was the case, right? And and with you know a drug like for weight loss, it's like maybe let's just say it's effective. Let's say it helps you lose weight, but where else might it be causing problems? And I don't I don't even just mean in the realm of the physiological effects of whatever the the drug you know, root, uh, or the drug impact is like, maybe it, it's bad for your liver, or it causes some harm elsewhere. But I also mean, like, like, uh, psychologically, like, is it good that you can take a pill and lose weight and achieve something that you like, that you desire? Like, is it good to be able to uh, achieve something you desire without the requisite work? Like long-term, is it good? Like, does it not kind of impair your own development, your own capacity to pursue things that are meaningful to you if you you continue to be able to achieve it or acquire it by some other means? And I, you know, again, I, I'm pretty sure the answer is no there. I, I don't yeah. think there's a free lunch. Like if the whole thing with meaning is that if you're going to be able to access it and access the fruits of integrating it or bring, bringing it into your life, it requires sacrifice, effort, discipline, work, you know, all those things. And if you can somehow get it without that, let's put it this way, those things, though they may seem like they're a cost for accessing meaning, I actually think they are an integral component of the meaning itself. Yeah. And so to try to avoid them is a fool's errand, basically. Yeah, I mean, you're not addressing any of the problems that got you there in the first place. And it makes me think about especially for men therapy, it's really being pushed a lot. And I tried that a few times with my particular stuff with my brother. And it doesn't address a lot of the root issues, especially for men, we need a mission in life. I think that is actually hardwired in our DNA. And you could just talk about everything. And then you just go back and you're still having these major issues that are causing all that in the first place. And that's the same thing with this fat loss drug is the fact that you still take it, but you still have these awful habits, and it's just pretty much a moot point at that at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it 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 can be helpful to talk about things that are bothering you, but I do agree with your point that 
And as part of, you know, part of the issue with so much of this is everything is multifaceted and multi-layered and that's, you, you, everything's connected as we were saying before, right? So, so just single something out and try to fix that without fixing everything around it, you know, it's, it's going to be limited uh, improvements at best. But I think you're right. Like if, if you were in a culture where, you know, the more, the, the masculine elements of yourself, let's say, were properly developed and what's and you are pursuing pursuing what's most meaningful to you and you had a, a community of men around you that were doing something similar how much more beneficial would would that be at resolving whatever issues then came up and of course fewer would because you would have addressed them all along the way and they wouldn't have had a chance to metastasize let's say but how much more effective would that be at resolving those issues than you know the modern man who sits in a cubicle for eight, nine hours a day, picks up some food on the way home, goes home, watches Netflix, jerks off, goes to bed and and does it like all over again, seven days a week or five days a week, and then gets blasted on the weekends. And then is told like, well, go share your feelings with a therapist, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and everything will be better. Or like, don't be afraid to talk or that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's night and day. Right. And, and so much yeah. of the, of the problem uh, or so much of the capacity to improve the problem is in, you know, not waiting for it to get to such a destructive sort of uh, place, you know, or to become such a big problem. Yeah. Well, I know for, especially in Bitcoin, we're, we talk about low and high time preference a lot. A big issue is we don't think long-term at all. And so this is also why I was trying to really figure out my mission, but also you mentioned community. That was another thing that really helped me was brotherhood and leaning into that um, because life still happens. I mean, at the day of my launch on May 28th, my mom passed away four hours after that. And Man. I mean, I was, I, that was, I was expecting that for a while. Obviously she was in a really bad spot, but things will just continue on happening in my life, but I can still continue on with my life as well and push forward because I was able to do that deep work. If I didn't do that, I would just be, I mean, again, probably just a sinking ship, smoking more weed, probably drinking and all of that. And that was because I was thinking long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, again, the capacity for Bitcoin to kind of inculcate certain ideas or principles into us strikes again, let's say, you know, because low time preference is one of the, the things that everyone learns as they go through their, their Bitcoin journey. And again, I think what's happening is maybe you realize the importance or relevance or benefit of it in Bitcoin as a result of that particular journey, but then you realize how broadly applicable it is to other areas of meaning, you know, and, and how useful it can be in those domains as well. And yeah, man, I, it's, it's so crazy because the, the, the solution seems so simple, doesn't it? Like when we talk about all these problems and, you know, all the, the YouTube, all the podcasts and the news shows, everyone's, you know, talking about politics and this and that, but the, 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 it seems so simple, you know, like just getting back to the basics of not being so detached, building strong, healthy families within, you know, strong communities where, you know, honesty and integrity are the baseline and they're built into the baseline, not just morally in the, in terms of whatever spirituality people use to, uh, you know, establish that, but also in terms of the money, right. Sound money, Bitcoin, whatever, like it, it, it's not that complicated, you know, when people are decrying the, the state of the world these days, 
and thinking like, well, how the hell do we resolve this? I mean, it really, it, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a, a stretch, which is what encourages me greatly because it's, it means that the, the change can happen, you know, rather quickly if everyone, you know, if, if enough people were to kind of see things that way. And again, you know, I, I, I'm very encouraged by that. I mean, you're a great example, as are so many people in the space, you know, three, four years ago, probably, a, a, you know, a fairly different person, different ambitions, different drives, different behaviors, different habits, different ways of thinking, all that stuff. And now look at you, you know, and albeit you're still, I'm sure you'd admit like early stages of the journey, but you're more clear about what you need to focus on and from where you derive meaning and what you want to be involved in and why you're doing it. Like there's a, there's a, there's an intention and there's a, there's a consciousness about why you're doing what you're doing. And I mean, that's, that's really it, you know, and then, and then it's just a matter of running the clock forward and, and being, you know, dedicated and committed to continuing to refine yourself and try to understand yourself better and understand the things that motivate you, the values, the principles, the ambitions. And I think that's how we, we get to the better place. Right. And so, mm -hmm. um, and Bitcoin seems to be a tremendous catalyst for that. So encouraged. I guess yeah. That's what I'm I trying mean, to say. You're spot on with simple too. Cause like I was saying with, especially for Renaissance, trying to reconnect us back to, to, uh, food production, essentially, I think it's simple because the first time whenever I was traveling to these different ranches and whatnot and had actual fresh beef, I've never had anything like that. It tastes vastly different than anything I've ever had in the grocery stores. And it was literally life-changing because it's just, I spent 27 years and I've never had food this delicious and nutritious. And that's why I'm trying to really go back to developing relationships with your local farms and ranches and buying from farmers markets. Because once you're able to do that, it makes it much easier to eat healthy food because I mean, the food that we have in the grocery stores, especially all the ultra processed food that is literally scientifically like modified for us to be addicted to that. So we, our brains are so like, I don't know where I'm going with that, but it's just, our brains are just have changed because of that type of food. Mm. Once you can break that habit and actually eat nutrient dense food, you won't ever think about those cravings for just the pure garbage that's, that most people eat now yeah oh it it feels vastly different you know once especially once you start stacking those uh lifestyle hacks or hacks not the right word like lifestyle fundamentals together i mean it it becomes an addiction just like your prior food or, or substance addiction because if you can be eating really healthy really nutritious food if you can be eating it in the right way or the the setting the right setting if you can stack on, you know, good sleep and exercise and strong trusting relationships and work that's meaningful and you just, you just continue to stack it. I mean, that's how you live in, in my opinion, as far as I can tell, that's how you live a, a happy, integrated, meaningful life. And it just, every time you find something that you can tweak or add into that mix, like fit it in properly. I mean, it makes you feel stronger on, on every level. And it's such a, mm -hmm. you know, such a great feeling. And, you know, when I was, uh, like I smoked a bunch of weed when I was a teenager as well, and kind of intermittently in my early twenties, I lived in China for most of that. And so, and it's not that common there. Um, so I, it wasn't something I did often, but anytime I would go back to it, I would just feel like 
And I like I, I was a huge advocate for we like I remember I wrote a in in grade eleven grade ten or eleven I wrote a persuasive essay in English class of why marijuana should be legalized right and I went down the rabbit hole and you know and I do think it's absurd all the reasons why it was made illegal and the corruption and this you know that whole story but um, I do feel most often like an overuse of it took me out of the type of clarity that I was that was dawning on me that allowed me to see what was most important and meaningful and engage it uh, in the way that I wanted to, you know, kind of, it would kind of fog up my, my, my perception of my life mm -hmm. rather than give me clarity. Now, maybe in like isolated cases, if I was trying to break a creative blockage or, you know, the, I'm not saying uh, I would never use it again, but it was at the the level of usage, I, I recognize it as being something that was impairing me rather than, you know, um, uh, promoting me or making me stronger or, or, or permitting me to pursue the things that I wanted to pursue. And so, I, you know, I think um, that too is happening to a lot of people, you know, that they're, they're just, they're, they're identifying these things in their life, whether it's weed or Netflix or bad relationships or bad food that are holding them back. You know, now mm -hmm. that there's this meaningful thing draw, drawing them forward, part of the game is just be like, well, what's what's holding me back? And if, if you wake up in in modern culture in in 2023, you probably you know there's a, quite a few things that are holding you back. So I think a, a big part of the process for a lot of people initially, and this goes back to kind of the trust conversation earlier, is just being like, wait, like hold the fuck on, just everything stop. I need to look around in my, you know, environment, my both physical and, you know, mental environment and be like, where are the things that just need to be gotten rid of, right? There's too much noise. There's too much weight. There's too much negative influence. W what needs to be gotten rid of before I even think about adding on, right? Like, how do I just get rid of the things that are not serving me, whether if it's poor or untruthful or corrupted information, or whether it's, you know, relationships or food or things in my environment or whatever, and then you can start the process of of building up from there. And um, that's it, man. Like, I think that's that's the right approach. And um, a lot of people seem to be doing it. And and it sounds like what you're undertaking now is basically will serve as a, as a resource for people that are doing that, at least for your particular area, you know? So mm -hmm. when people are trying to uh, recapitulate their diet and and reorient themselves in, in, a, in, in that way, in, or in that domain rather, um, they'll have what you do as a resource to kind of give them the, the, the information they need to make informed decisions there. Right. And then of course, to I mean, kind of ex express their, uh, their pride, their interest, their, uh, why they feel that way of, of eating or, or growing their food is, is important and valid, you know, because as you, as we've been saying, community is a big part of what we do and is a big part of health generally. Yeah, no, you're 100% spot on because that's funny. That's exactly what I did um, those last six months of 2021 after my, my brother died because Twitter essentially saved my life in a lot of ways. I was doing a lot of unlearning and learning, but I, I would essentially say I was attending Twitter University for a few months because I was just so many different niches, health, esoteric health, nutrition, regenerative agriculture, I mean, Bitcoin, and yeah, that was essentially the catalyst for overcoming all my stuff was all this unlearning and learning. And then, then I would audit my environment and everything that I do and believe 
and it took a long time, but I think that was, I was building a new foundation where I didn't really have a foundation. I realized. So yeah, I completely echo everything you said on that. Was it a, a moment when you realized that you needed to take that approach or was it just kind of a slow burn over time? And if, if it was the former, was it shocking? Was it difficult to deal with when you kind of realized that's what you needed to do or what was that process like? That's a good question. I would say it was kind of a slow burner at the start because when I was my brother's caretaker, he spent the first pretty much half of that six months back at our parents' place. We were in the same room and that's when I learned he was using Twitter, but for just educational purposes, especially for Bitcoin. And so I was starting to see the the value in Twitter for that first time ever because I used to use it for just the stupid toxic reasons that a lot of Twitter is but there's a lot of utility in it. And I think it was also out of just not wanting to leave my apartment. I just stayed there pretty much all day. Uh, didn't want to move. So it was, I guess just by that too, is just the fact that I've got this and I was just following a lot of counts and I started seeing the value in a lot of it. And then it, I guess, picked up pretty quickly after that, I would say. Are there, are there any accounts on Twitter that you think, you know, cause I guess we're all, always looking for those resources that we can uh, at least cautiously have some semblance of trust in. Are, are there any resources that you've come across over the last couple of years that have really helped you in, in any particular way? Yeah, there's a ton. What The one account that made me switch from being vegan to eating animal protein again was uh, Alexander Cortez. I think he goes by Ajax, but he's huge in that, but also just fitness and just overall health very good stuff. Um, in terms of like mentality and mindset, that was another thing that I was really trying to work on. Zach Hummel is incredible for that. Uh, I'm trying to remember Twitter handles. I can't really off the top of my head. Um, there's, there's so many, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I have to, I can probably tweet that out because that wasn't the great thing about this Renaissance too, was I was able to send shirts to a lot of folks that had made us such a massive impact on me in such a short amount of time because they're just, that's a great thing about Twitter. Whenever you figure that out, they're just pumping all this out for free. You're just, yeah. you get to learn about all of that. And it's incredible. Totally. Were you um, in any sort of like vegan community when you were vegan or was that just kind of something you did by yourself? No, I couldn't stand them. So it was just <laughs> me and the only person else was my girlfriend at the time who transitioned to be vegan. And outside of that, yeah, I did not associate with them at all. Did you feel many physiological differences when you switched diets? Yeah, I'm still, uh, that's been a long story in itself. I've had a whole huge laundry list of health issues as well. Um, so whenever I switched back, I realized now I had low acidic stomach but what the gastro kept telling me was i had an over acidic stomach so they would just pump me with anti-acids which is just completely wrong but i also started just eating a bunch of junk after that to where i have a really inflamed colon and just a whole other issues to where i, I learned this january i have hashimoto's so i'm in the process of fixing that as well as other nutrient deficiencies that i had through blood work mm -hmm. but i didn't even really i guess i realized I haven't even talked about that was the fact how much not only healthcare really failed for a lot of the experiences with my brother, but me personally, I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars the last two years on tests for them to not really 
figure anything out and not help me in the slightest to where I've had to essentially do my own independent stuff to yeah. where I finally got answers and I'm able to now finally address that. That's another reason why I'm, I have Regenestance is just so we don't rely on a lot of the doctors and healthcare that's in America because it's, it's a total mess. It's so frustrating. And and it's not just the States. I mean, the, maybe the cost is of particular note in the States, but I mean, the real punchline is don't get sick because yeah. once, once you get sick, you get put into a system. I mean, again, like there's a lot of well-meaning people in it. It's just not optimized for health. You know, it's, it's optimized for treating symptoms um, as quickly as possible from the doctor's side and as profitably as possible from the pharmaceutical side. You know, both of those incentives do not bode well for the patient. You know, the, the, the doctor has to see 100 people a day or whatever it is. So they want to just, what's the cause? Again, back to this point of like isolating one thing and forgetting everything else. What's the symptom? Oh, that's a symptom. Well, I had a very nice, um, you know, well put together pharmaceutical rep in my office a month ago. And he took me on a very nice trip to Florida. And he told me that this is the new thing they've developed. It took $10 billion to develop state of the art. This is the pill for the thing you have. Take it and come back in six weeks. And, you know, that's just basically how it works. And, um, and, and again, it's, it doesn't lead to great outcomes. And then, as you say, you have to take it upon yourself to do the research. You have to go into your particular issue. Nobody knows it better than, your, than yourself after all. And then you walk into the, the doctor's office and on the wall, they have a framed picture of like Google didn't go to med school for four years or, <laughs> or some like snarky remark about the patient trying to like look into their own health. Mm-hmm. It's, and then of course it costs you an arm and a leg to, to get access to that either through direct payments or through taxes or insurance, whatever. So yeah, it's, it's completely fucked. And, and back to our point, it's like, well, what's the solution? Well, the solution is simple as shit. You know, most of the time now there's, if things have progressed really far, then maybe there isn't solutions or maybe they're, they're a little bit more challenging, but like for a lot of people, I, I think this stat won't be exactly right, but it's something like 80 to 85% of illnesses or hospital visits or whatever it is are lifestyle diseases. So basically, you know, brought on by mm-hmm. how you choose to live. And if, I mean, if you lived a healthier lifestyle, and I think, you know, you're probably angle on this as is many in the Bitcoin space is like a, a, a diet high in meat, high in saturated fats. Um, and then the details, maybe people tweak for their own liking, but something like that, you know, organic grass fed, free range meat, things like that. If that and, and exercise and sunlight and good water and, you know, basic, basic, basic stuff, which everyone did kind of by default, like, well, in certain places of the world now, and in many places of the world, you know, 100 years ago or so. But if you did that, you'd probably find that a lot of those issues resolve themselves over time. Like you're putting yourself, your body back into a position where it can function normally. And so, you know, those, those functions that are impaired because of all the different things you're doing, you take the cause of that impairment away and you give it what it needs to regenerate. And what do you know? Like it actually does that. And again, it's just an example of this, this massive problem and this super complex, corrupt, poor incentives solution that do, it do, isn't actually effective anyways, being conjured up to address that problem 
-hmm. when the solution is just extremely the the correct solution or the the most beneficial solution is just extremely simple. And again, this is goes back to that point at the beginning of like the inversion of the truth that characterizes clown world because it's like oftentimes it seems these days what the you know the truth is actually the complete opposite or the inversion of what what people say it is or what or what's being done. Yeah, and it's also funny whenever you were mentioning about um, the doctor with the the Google image, which so there's just it's so ironic because I've noticed. I mean, this is all anecdotally. All of the doctors with my brother's experience, with my experience throughout all the years, is they stop researching after they get the degree. Yeah. So, they, and that in itself is just funny to me. But then also the last, I have two examples too. With that example of the over acidic stomach, I was still having continuous issues on the farm to where I had no idea what was going on. And I went to one of the gastros. And the first thing I said when I walked in is don't prescribe me antacids. And she just jokingly checked off the box saying, oh, there goes my first line of defense. And it's just like, oh, that's that's where we're at as a healthcare is that summarized right there. Yeah. And that's just so frustrating. But then also this past January, um, <laughs> I had a, a fun near death experience that ended me in the ER. And um, whenever I first got there, I was severely dehydrated. I didn't really I was in just such rough shape. Obviously, I couldn't really figure out what's going on. Um, and they said I had really inflamed colon, but they didn't give me any fluids or anything. So they sent me back. And I went back to my Airbnb and I could feel myself almost passing out again. And so I had to go back to the ER and they gave me two liters of fluid and I finally felt okay. But because of that mistake, I might end up having to pay $3,000. Fortunately, I'm part of crowd health and we're working on that. But it's just, that's just so ridiculous. A little mishap because of them not giving me any fluids could potentially cost me three grand. Yeah, it's so crazy. Again, the, 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 the incentives are super messed up. And then you go into any hospital and you look at the food that they're giving people. I mean, it's almost like it's intentionally trying to keep them in there. Um, and, you know, to maybe the archetypal example of this whole, like the, the, the truth or the best thing is actually the inverse or, or is like doing nothing instead of overdoing things is fasting. I don't know if you have much experience with it. I don't have a ton of experience with it, especially not longer term, like more than three day fast. But you look at the historical literature and, you know, even if there's not at those times like scientific literature, but you look at traditional uses of fasting in, in a variety of cultures all around the world. I mean, oftentimes if if you were had something that was ailing you, if you were sick in some way, or even if you were even if you were like um, mentally or spiritually sick, I mean, fasting has been used as a as a means of inducing a type of mystical or spiritual experience even. So like, it's like the ultimate do nothing, which is basically like, don't eat anything and only have water. Turns out that it has, you know, seemingly quite effective, even sometimes remarkable ability to uh, ameliorate, improve or fix the very thing that ails you, whether it be physical or spiritual, you know? So it's it, that theme just keeps reemerging and it seems to have a lot of merit. Yeah, I mean, in, in the holistic, I guess, space too, it's being more talked about now is fasting whenever you have cancer because of that exact reason is just starving it. And mm. so it makes me, I don't know, it's interesting, especially after reflecting on all the treatments and whatnot for my brother, just how differently it could have gone about all of that and just if he could still be alive today. So that's, but also now knowing what I know now too, I could have really helped him preventing getting colon cancer in the first place. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
I'm sure that's part of the motivation that drives you forward and what you're doing now, you know, that you can share potentially life-saving or at least life-improving information with, you know, people who are, you know, needed or are looking for it or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, if I helped just one family prevent what I've gone through, I will die a happy man because yeah, everything that I've gone through, I don't recommend, or I don't wish on my worst enemy. So yeah. that's the motivating factor in it all. I mean, it's, I would say pain fuels my fire and my fire is the mission. That's awesome. What do you see as, how do you think that mission is going to develop, uh, you know, in, into the future right now it's information articles, newsletters, and t-shirts. How do you see this movement or this community developing? Yeah. So my whole, just overall mission in life is just breaking the generational chain on health and nutrition, because we pass down all of our knowledge to our kids. Whenever you see an overweight child, you're probably going to assume that their parents are overweight, severely overweight too. And so I'd say long-term, it's just a whole lot of education because I, again, want to get into ranching my own. I also want to eventually educate the next generation on getting into regenerative agriculture because another big issue that we're facing, especially in America, half of our farmland is changing hands by the end of 2030, but most of them don't have an heir to where they can pass that down to. And so I'm really trying to find incentives to get people into agriculture because it is, it's not easy work at all. It is, that's what a, <laughs> You will notice immediately whenever you volunteer and work on a farm, just how much work goes into it, especially physical labor, a very stressful environment, especially with uncontrollable elements such as the weather. Um, so I'd say education is the biggest thing. And then just leading by example, whenever I do my own ranching. Do you think you'll do, you know, events or I don't know, more things that involve like meat space gatherings of these like-minded people or community members? For sure. Especially because I'm in Austin, Texas. And right. I mean, especially with Bitcoin too, because I've noticed the huge trend. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the beef initiative. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the whole trend of just being self-sovereign. Once you just really reflect on after you learn about Bitcoin, but just reflecting on your health and food production, you just go down that rabbit hole and you just take full responsibility for everything. So I'm trying to, I guess, nudge people. And a lot of events, especially in a community-oriented city like Austin, I, I definitely plan to do. Yeah, you know, another way of just easily characterizing what we've, what we've been discussing, you know, because we often talk about kind of Bitcoin, being interested in Bitcoin because you're interested in truth and then having, you know, that be kind of like a mutual feedback thing and then looking for truth everywhere else. But it also like, it just seems to uh, inculcate an attitude of like no bullshit you know, like, which is basically the same as pursuing truth, but a little bit more playful. And it's like, I think Bitcoiners just look at all areas of their life and like, I don't want bullshit in the political category, in the health and food category, in the medicine, in the government, in the finance, whatever. I don't want any fucking bullshit. And I can smell your bullshit a mile away. So, you know, like if, if you're, if you're selling that shit, I'm not buying it. And it's so great to, and because, you know, having, your wealth stored in a way that people can't extract from you really emboldens someone to say that, to say no, to say no bullshit, to say fuck you, basically, yeah. because you, you, it's like you, you're way less uh, impervious to whatever ways they might try to, you know, manipulate you or or 
you know, get back at you for that attitude. And, um, and the more people that come in, the more that the more those people are emboldened because we're dealing with an absolutely scarce money here, right? So the more people that avail of that benefit, the more people, the more that those who have already done so are like get even more of that invigorating uh, boldness. And so, you know, I, I think all this groundswell we're seeing right now, where there's a lot of people starting to get into the regenerative agriculture stuff. You know, there's obviously a lot of great entrepreneurs out there starting awesome businesses. Like every just watching this kind of pulse as it grows, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen like a time lapse of like a, a mold on a tree, but it kind no. of like it, it pulses forward and then it retracts a little bit, but then it pulses even further forward. And that's kind of how I see these Bitcoin cycles and the activity that's happening within them. And um, it all just, I mean, I know I've said this several times already, but it, where once I was extremely um, pessimistic about the prospects for the world, broadly speaking, now, like every day, I'm just more optimistic and more emboldened and more hopeful for it because I, you know, I have these conversations with people like you who are doing cool things and I have them all the time. And I, you know, I love that I get to do that. And uh, I just kind of think like that all the pieces are coming together and the really important pieces, the really fundamental things that we were, we touched on earlier and how can that not lead to an improved circumstance, you know? And I, and the beautiful thing is, is it's not even really people being persuaded on mass because persuasion is always really a hard thing. It's people realizing themselves that, you know, that changes need to be made or that a, a better way is available or that truth, you know, greater approximation of truth is available. And then just pursuing their own self-interest based mm -hmm. on that. And then once they're, they, they take care of their own self-interest, there's this uh, impulse to share the love basically to, to, to not only improve their own circumstance, but, but try to contribute to the improvement of other people's circumstances. And I mean, what, what more do you want basically? Yeah. I mean, that's the two biggest things that give me hope in life for Bitcoin and regenerative agriculture, which is why I was so gung ho about the beef initiative. It's just once I was able to find that truth, um, yeah, I could find myself just working in the, in those spaces for the rest of my life. Just there's so much that goes into it um, that it gives me a lot of hope. That's so awesome, man. I love to hear that. Um, was there anything you wanted to touch on or discuss before we shut it down? I guess just the last thing, because you're saying with Bitcoiners, just finding the truth and sniffing out the bullshit. The other thing too, is just, it sniffs out the future bullshit. So for example, um, it's Bill Gates funded. Have you heard of appeal? No. So it's this plant-based sticker that they're placing on our produce and grocery stores. And it's essentially modifying its shelf life. Uh, I don't know the the full specifics, but it, it keeps just the uh, moisture in, internally of of the produce to where if you go to the website, there's like a, a scale that it shows of what a regular avocado looks like and a avocado with this appeal sticker on it. And it goes to like 30 days where the left one obviously rots and the right one is not. And I sniff that out a mile away because that's going just completely against our nature. And that's what I'm noticing more and more is just a lot of things that we're trying to do is just not natural at all, like lab grown meat. And yeah. there's more studies coming out that that's actually way, way worse for the environment than even conventional agriculture. And 
that's also why I like that. Cause you can start sniffing out that stuff. That's really pushed on us. You know, it'd be interesting. One of the questions I have is, so, I mean, this is not necessarily what I think is happening with Bitcoin, but there's obviously been many instances of the cat, many instances in the past where there's been like a, a somewhat of a Ludditeism that's uh, reemerged in the culture, right? Where there's been, because I think it's a very sensible response to chaos. Like when, when things get kind of too out of control, you revert back to what's been proven and what, what works, right? You know, tradition basically. And so that's happened throughout history many, many times. My question is, so we're in this, another one of these periods, it seems where things got too out of control and too chaotic. And there's a reversion back to prior knowledge, prior traditions, prior forms of behavior. What I'm curious about is what will we, like, how will we take those things and what elements of modern culture, of, of technological culture, of the so-called digital age or whatever, what elements will we accept as being legitimate and valid and not chaos inducing, let's say, and combine with those traditional forms of knowledge and behavior and methods um, in order to move forward in a way that we deem that we would characterize as progress, you know? So like, where will the line be of rejecting modernity and going back to tradition versus pulling forward tradition and leveraging modernity and it's yeah. you know there's no right answer I, no one has the answer right we're kind of figuring that out but it will be interesting because there's there's so much rejection right now you know where do we find the balance or the synthesis between the two to me especially for agriculture it's all about incentives and decentralization because that's just the biggest hurdle especially with the younger generation. Um, I remember talking to the, the farm owner that I was on, he's talking about how he struggles just to have any type of help. And I know that's not just him at all. When you think about being able to find some easy customer service job to where you can just sit at your desk for $15 an hour versus doing backbreaking work for $10 an hour, the incentives just aren't there. And mm. that's, I think that's the biggest hurdle in trying to get more and more folks into agriculture. Cause like I was saying, it's, and so hard work, but it's also the most fulfilling work I've ever done working those farmers markets and hearing the feedback from all the customers and just how thankful they are for all of that is such an incredible feeling, but yeah, the incentives currently aren't there. Yeah. Well, that kind of is an element of what we were discussing before. Like, uh, what are the, how much do you value what you're getting in return for certain work? And that'll determine whether you think it's a good trade, right? So if it's only, if you're only focusing on the 15, the, the ink, the monetary aspect, which in this fiat culture of artificial deprivation, you, you are incentivized to do. So you're incentivized to take the $15 an hour over the $10 an hour. And if that is the, your primary metric of assessment, you're going to do it and then suffer the consequences of making that decision. But if we were, if things started to change, and if things weren't as you know artificially uh, scarce, let's say, then you might, well, I think we could both imagine a circumstance where a young person might say, well, it's 10 bucks versus 15 bucks, but I get to be outside, I get to be in the sun, I get to have my my feet and my hands in the soil. I actually like the fact that it's gonna be physical and work because I, you know, I, I want that. Uh, it's gonna be around people that I, I respect and that I wanna learn from. It's gonna, you know, Get, bring me closer to nature so I can observe the cycle. Like all those little non-obvious things, I think will be more 
that people will be more conscious of and not only more conscious of, but they'll elevate in their importance and they'll become a, a legitimate component of when you compared, you know, two different opportunities. And, um, you know, so I think, again, that's just how it slowly turns around is more and more people just saying like, well, yeah, it's, it's five bucks less an hour, but net net, I think I'm way up. So I'm going to, I'm going to choose the thing that's in my best interest. It's really just a matter of properly identifying and valuing, uh, or properly identifying what it is that's in your best interest. You know, mm -hmm. so many, so many people today make that kind of like deal with the devil. They think, you know, the, the bigger salary is in their best interest, but they're locked in a massive city. They're in a tiny, you know, apartment. They're in a cubicle all day under gray light, exposed to all sorts of toxins, very cut off from, you know, human connection, unhealthy lifestyle, alcohol on the weekends. And you put it all together and you're like, is that in my best interest or should I just mm -hmm. go and, and, and choose something else that pays way less, but is actually, is actually better for me, you know? And so of course everyone has to make those decisions for themselves. Um, and there's no absolute right answer, but I I'm hopeful that we're entering an era where, uh, people make those decisions. People are more aware of the decisions they are actually making, I guess is the right way to put it. And then we'll see what kind of, uh, things people value and, and uh, I think it's heading in the right direction. So I'm there with you. No, I think a lot of people are starting to really question, wake up. But then even like you're saying, leaving the city, there's so many, even just on YouTube, regenerative agriculture channels of their first generation farmers, but they were just sick of their tech job and being in the city and they just wanted to get out. So I'm noticing that trend more and more as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Me too. Well, man, this was this has been great and and kind of a long time coming. So I'm I'm glad you you hit me back up and and finally we put this together. Um, did you want to just shout out the destinations and stuff one more time if people want to you know buy T-shirts, check out your work, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Yeah. So currently, I'm mainly just using Twitter. You can find me at underscore Reginiscence, and then my website is thereginiscence.co, and yeah, you can just find me on there. Awesome. Well, look, man, um, thanks again for coming on and, and best of luck in everything you're doing. And we'll have to have a, another catch up in a year or so and see where things are at then. Sounds good. Thank you, John, for having me. All right, brother. Take care.